Awesome. Yeah, thank you for worshiping with us this morning. I'm going to jump right in. If we haven't met, my name is Justin. I'm the lead pastor here at Fieldstone. Um, and going to read a pretty powerful passage for you to get things started off. This is from Leviticus chapter 13. Some of you are already going, wait, where? <laughs> the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When anyone has a swelling or a rash or a shiny spot on their skin that may be a defiling skin disease... They must be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons who is a priest. The priest is to examine the sore on the skin. And if the hair in the sore has turned white and the sore appears to be more than skin deep, it is a defiling skin disease. When the priest examines that person, he shall pronounce them ceremonially unclean. If the shiny spot on the skin is white but does not appear to be more than skin deep and the hair has not turned white, the priest is to isolate the affected person for seven days. On the seventh day, the priest is to examine them, and if he sees that the sore is unchanged and has not spread to the skin, he is to isolate them for another seven days. On the seventh day, the priest is to examine them again, and if the sore has faded and has not spread in the skin, the priest shall pronounce them clean. It is only a rash." They must wash their clothes, and they will be clean. But if the rash does spread in their skin, after they have shown themselves to the priest to be pronounced clean, they must appear before the priest again. The priest is to examine that person, and if the rash is spread in the skin, he shall pronounce them unclean. It is a defiling skin disease. This is the word of the Lord. (laughs) That is the Holy Bible. That is the inspired word of God, and I ain't preaching on that probably ever. Now, certainly there is a reason for that passage, right? As we read through the Old Testament, you see that God sets up different standards and different protocols in place for the safety of his people. They're establishing a brand new country, a brand new kingdom. They've been slaves for hundreds of years, and so he's teaching them how to be a civilized people in many ways. He's building a culture. He's teaching them about obedience. He's ultimately, for the entire Levitical law, ultimately it points to their need for Jesus. And these are things that were super important to them. There's things that we could pull out of that if we really wanted to, namely a white hair. And yet, it's not something we're going to camp on. We're never going to do a series on that passage. We go to it for maybe some historical context or to make junior high boys laugh, right? So, so all of these things come into play. And you can cross that passage with passages like John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life contrast that leviticus passage with john 1 1 in the beginning was the word the word was with god and the word was god romans 3 23 some of these verses you guys grew up learning in sunday school or whatever john 3 16 for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god these are verses that are rock solid they're cut and dry you read them and you go this is clearly important to my life and to the people around me there's these verses are clear in their meaning they have to do with faith they have to do with salvation they talk about life in christ and so you can see a significant contrast between those types of passages and some random passage about rashes in the levitical law now, we're in the midst of a series, this is week number two, that we're talking about um, some of our Fieldstone DNA traits, uh, our personality. You can call them Fieldstone values if you would like. Um, and, and basically addressing some of those things where over the years we've said this is not only, these are not only things that in many ways describe who we are and what people are attracted to when they come in to be a part of our church family, but these are things that we want people to be drawn to, want people to notice 
and to be seen. And made a mention last week, as we go through these values, you're not going to hear a value like worship or God's word or prayer, right? Because we believe that those are values that should be describing every single church, right? So those are like, duh, type of values. Of course, those are things that we should be valuing as a local body of believers. And so these four that we're hitting over this month are values that we believe are unique to us in our local expression of the body of Christ here at Fieldstone Church. And last week, we talked about how we are a family-focused church and all, and all that that means, right? It, it, it uh, influences how we make decisions, how we set up our services, how we do our Fieldstone Kids Ministry, all these different things, and how this mission to see family trees transformed by the gospel of Jesus includes more than just that perfect stock family photo of a family, right? If, if you have a family that is blended or still figuring things, put yourself in the family season, that value is still for you. We need your help to love on families because it's hard to be married. It's hard to raise kids. And so we're very family focused here at Fieldstone. And so as we get into this next, remember, some of this is what we are, but we're not perfect, right? And so some of these values is what we want to be. And we want you to help us embody some of these things. And so today, as we get into the second one, um, we believed it was important with this one to not only solidify our emphasis on teaching and on scripture and on the truth, but also clarify how we value it, how we present it, how we communicate truth. And when it comes to communicating truth, there's a, there's a tension that we have, and, and we have to live with it and wrestle with it in many ways, because we might say, hey, we are a biblical church. We are a church founded on God's word. We believe in being Bible-based, right? But unfortunately, when you say we are biblical, when you say we are Bible-based, unfortunately, that can mean different things to different people. There are people, there are churches that will pull out the same passages of Scripture and walk away with two completely different understandings of it, two different interpretations of it, two different ways of living it out in real life. And they, they see it differently than we would. Now, in some of those circumstances, we would look at them and say, okay, that different, that, but you know what, just difference of opinion. Strong evidence on both sides. We've fallen on this side. They've fallen on that side. There's lots to agree on, just a difference of opinion. But sometimes you come across a church or a group of people who would say that they're Bible-based and they're founded on Scripture, and yet you would look at the things that they believe and go, not only is that wrong, it's deceptive, right? And so there's this tension here of saying we are Bible-based, we're founded in Scripture. Add to that tension any desire that we might have for people to actually listen to what we're communicating. We're reaching multiple generations here at Fieldstone, multiple generations who all process information and learn differently. We're, we're talking to people from different backgrounds and different situations that they're coming from who all learn and process information differently. We're talking uh, different people in different families and people in different seasons who need different topics addressed at different times and in different ways, maybe a little bit more or maybe a little bit less. And so today, we want to address this particular DNA item, this particular trait, this distinctive quality of our church, and it's this. It's that we want our teaching to be energetic and relevant, but it doesn't sacrifice the truth. We want to say that our teaching is energetic and relevant, but doesn't sacrifice the truth. I want to hit both parts of that today. We're going to start with the energetic and relevant part, um, and then, and especially, we want to get to what we mean by truth, some of the difficult truths, the truths that you want to live and die for versus some of the truths that maybe we don't spend much time on, like that passage in Leviticus that we started with. So let's talk about energetic and relevant. 
Uh, it, you don't have to go much further than the book of Acts and, and, and some of the spots in the Gospels to see how truth was communicated in the early church. You go to Acts chapter 2 and see Peter delivering that famous sermon at Pentecost where they bust out of the upper room and they're filled with the Holy Spirit and the tongues of fire. And this is the second time the gospel is shared publicly. The first time was by women who were running from the garden after experiencing the risen Christ. But there in Acts, Peter, he, he's preaching with so much passion and so much energy, he was accused of being drunk. But Peter, what he does is, he, it's a brilliant thing, especially in that context. He starts with some Old Testament context. Hey, guys, this is where we've been. This is, these are the foundations of our faith. And going back to Father Abraham and all these different things through that first family tree, right? And he sets up the whole story of their people and shows how that story ultimately leads to Jesus. And that format is copied and redone by a lot of different people as they're sharing the message before crowds and Pharisees and legal proceedings throughout the book of Acts and, and throughout the New Testament. And so there's passion, there's energy, there's a providing of context and, and illustrations that make sense to those who are listening. You see a similar thing in Acts chapter 17 where Paul is interacting with some philosophers. Um, and, and honestly, as you read through the Bible, I walk away feeling like Paul was probably kind of a boring speaker. He actually put someone to sleep and they died, right? Uh, not in their sleep. They fell out of a window, and you're like, oh, that young man should have stayed awake all night listening to Paul. But I think Paul was maybe a boring preacher, but that's neither here nor there. But what Paul did in this particular situation is he's interacting with these philosophers, and he quotes their secular philosophers and ties it back in in making his case for Christ. We see this with Jesus in the Gospels, constantly using sheep shepherd illustrations or seeds and harvest illustrations pointing out landmarks or referring to current events in the way that he was teaching. And I think between Peter and Paul and Jesus and others in the New Testament, I think they understood that the way you communicate impacts how the message matched the lyrics with the music. Okay, I remember growing up one time, and my dad used to get really frustrated about this. And he, used, he would listen to the really old-school gospel Christian radio station, but every once in a while a song would come on, and he would go, oh, sorry, so frustrating, because the song would be something like this. It would be like, Jesus died on the cross, bled and died on the cross. Yeah, yeah, he died on the cross, bled and died. They put a spear in his side. He bled to death right now. And so, like, it's this horrific thing. And <laughs> Oh, there's more. Don't, don't you worry. So is this song true lyrics, powerful lyrics, right, about the death, like, like some of the songs we sang this morning, like, about Jesus and his death and his resurrection and how he suffered for us to pay the penalty for our sins, along with banjo. Yeah, here we go. We're celebrating, right? It's just not a good mix, right? So the best songs match the music with the lyrics. Some of the people out there, uh, my kids always give me the dad eye roll, right? Because Louis Capaldi is a singer out there right now, and the dude cries through every song. Someone broke that dude's heart, right? And it's like, wah, 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 everything's wrong. Wah, 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 I cry through this song. Every song is like that. But it works, right, because the dude is dying inside, and the music matches the lyrics. And you walk away going, man, somebody love this dude. Please, somebody, right? And then match that with the, your favorite wedding reception song, Earth, Wind, and Fire, right? Do you remember, right? The 21st night of September, right? And the music matches the lyrics, right? You're celebrating that one. Yeah, I remember that night, right? You weren't even there, but you're like, yeah, yeah, the 21st of September, that was a big day, and you have no idea what they're talking about, 
but the energy of the music matches the lyrics. Note the contrast in both of those songs, and yet it works, right? The most powerful, entertaining, moving songs is because the music matches the lyrics. The message matches the form of the communication. You see it in movies, right? Ocean's Eleven, it's made three, four times now. Annie, King Kong, all of these movies that keep getting remade. Same story, same plot, same outcome. And yet, as you remake it for a new generation, different types of actors, different cinematography, different camera angles, quicker shots, right? Everything about the delivery of the story changes, but the story remains the same because the language you use, the references you use, the age level you're communicating to, it all impacts the way it's going to be received. And so we have to understand that any message, any truth, it must be communicated in a way that's understandable and convicting. More importantly, it must be communicated in a way that values the needs of the listener above the desires of the speaker. Now, we're going to set aside Bible verses and sermons for a second. This is, this is really a universal idea that works inside and outside of church settings. I'm going to invite a friend of mine, Herb, come on up. Uh, because this is, this is a truth that goes beyond just our room, right? And this is something I'm going to challenge you with as the talk goes on this morning. This is Herb Morlock. Can we welcome Herb up here real quick? Justin. Yep. So uh, Herb and Julie and their family have been attending a long time, go way back with them. And Herb is a teacher over here at Milan High School. Um, and Herb, sorry to say, you are old enough uh, that you have seen some generation. Where do, I already told them where you teach, but what's your background? What do you, tip, what do you teach these days? Kind of sure. what, what does school look like for you right now? All right. So um, good to see you all. Um, Justin, I was, Justin asked me how I was doing. and Usually I'm, a, I'm pretty calm. Um, but anytime you get in a new setting to talk, you kind of you ramp up. Yeah. And I'm a runner. My, Quit freaking my, out, Herb. Yeah. My, yeah. Uh, <laughs> my pulse is usually around 50, and right now it's like 88. So okay. just so you know. Um, is 50 healthy? I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's, it's okay. Okay. Right. Um, so um, some of my, my background, um, I came to teaching a little bit later in my career. I worked um, in, in Ann Arbor Econed as a recreation specialist for about five years. Um, then in, that, in the middle of that, um, I kind of realized I like being with kids because I, I taught kids like how to referee and, and, and things like that. So um, that was pretty cool. And that led me to think, well, maybe I would like to teach. Um, so my wife and I kind of talked about it. And she's like, yeah, that, that'd be a good fit for you. It fits your character. So then I, I worked as an accountant for five years. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. No, there is a transition yeah, yeah, there. A natural, natural journey. Yeah. I had to go back to school, and I had to find a part-time job so to pay for it. So yeah. I did accounting for five years, and uh, then I came to uh, um, teach in Ypsilanti for a year. I taught sixth graders. They were great, and I taught eighth graders. They were horrid. Um, <laughs> sorry, any eighth graders out there, but you, you don't know who you are yet. So... Um, and sixth graders, they're still babies. And then I got this opportunity. My wife and I lived in Milan, and uh, I had a friend who's a teacher at, at um, Paddock. She said, hey, Herb, there's this job open at the high school. You should apply for it. So I'm like, okay, I live across the street. Great idea. <laughs> um, so I applied, and, and they, they hired me. And now I, I teach mostly kids who are juniors and seniors, um, and I teach government, and I teach AP government. Okay. And uh, how long have you been teaching now? So I've been teaching, um, this is my 19th year in Milan, and it's my 20th 
year overall. Okay. 20, and then add on a few years of training, coaching, right. coordinating, that kind of stuff. So over the course of that time, obviously, big chunk of time spent with the millennial generation. We're into Gen Z. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe, maybe back in the just before you started teaching, you got a little, little bit of Gen X. Yeah, you were teasing me about that, that I could have taught Gen Xers. But I guess if I had come out right at 22 when I was teaching, if I taught at 22, yeah. yes. But um, I'm a Gen Xer, so yeah. I missed them just barely. Yeah, I already told them you were old. So we, <laughs> we just assumed that you were probably Gen X. Um, uh, oh, thanks. <laughs> so teaching that long, you... You've seen kids come and go. You've taught different age groups, uh, different topics, things like that. Um, where have you seen places where you've had to adjust a little bit? Because I'm assuming the information, and you're talking about government. Government right. still works the same as it used to, trust me. Um, <laughs> it's all the same processes. How have you had to change and evolve as the kids have changed, as the generation has turned over? So um, I think one of the biggest areas is um, focus and attention. I think our focus and attention time, the ability to just sit, has kind of shortened a little bit. And mm-hmm. um, anyone in teaching circles will tell you it's, it's about 12 minutes right now where you can kind of sit and focus. Wow. Um, so you have to transition things a lot. Um, I had a great teacher when I was in high school who said notes are life, and I believed them. <laughs> um, but you can't just sit up there and just like drill out notes for 15 minutes because kids will go, and they'll be out. So you know, I mix up different activities and um, you know, I can't just go notes. I also do videos. I do discussion times. Uh, lots of different kind of ways to get kids thinking. Yeah, awesome. How about um, presentation, different technology, things like that? What have you seen evolve in that area? Oh, uh, we've gone. Um, it's, it kind of goes in a circle, to be honest. Okay. When I first started teaching, we were using like um, little dittos in a um, projector, um, and then everything was PowerPoint, 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 and then. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of back to uh, writing, and kids see stuff on a screen, and they, they really like that. So, I mean, it's lots of different things. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Anything else where you've just like, man, I, I used to do it this way, now I do it that well, way? I, I think the older you get, the, the, the more you realize you, some of the examples you have don't really make sense anymore. Mm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So um, I, I, we were talking about the war in Ukraine last year, and I, I, I pulled up this great video and this really profound person, um, you know, who's one of the smartest women in the world, I think, uh, Condoleezza Rice, and the kids, she was the Secretary of State, and she was, like, um, yeah. really important, and, and the kids had no idea who she was. And I was like, uh, okay, yeah. I got I to gotta give some context yeah. to who this person is. Um, so, I mean, you, you realize that your examples may not fit the examples of the people with yeah. you. So. Yeah, I remember you mentioned before, too, like, uh, you know, the last four or five years, the, the easy reference to uh, a contested election, go back to 2000 with Bush and Gore and the hanging chads, yeah. and they don't have any clue what you're talking no, about. No idea. Yeah. No idea. So, yeah, I was telling one, one kid who said she really likes um, government and politics and reading about it, and I said, have you heard about... Uh, the hanging chats, and she had no idea. Yeah. And I'm like, go look at it, because you'll, you'll, you'll think it's really interesting. Yeah, so. for sure. Yeah. I remember um, the first time I felt old, I was only in like my mid to late 20s, but I was teaching middle schoolers, and I referenced the OJ trial, and they're like, who's OJ? And I said, first of all, that's bad parenting if you don't know who OJ <laughs> is. But second of all, how are we already, this was like mid-2000s, and none of them were born when the OJ trial was going on. So some of you guys who are a little older know what that's all about, but it's like, 
oh my goodness, I'm 26 right. and I have to evolve. What's going right. on? Yeah, it's pretty right. wild. Yeah, well, this week was, of course, 9-11, and yeah. I, I had to tell the kids about it, and um, none of them were alive. And I'm, oh, you, you weren't even alive. And yeah. they know that something, you know, terrorists, and they know hitting buildings, but beyond that, the context is sort of lost on them. Yeah. So we, we watched a documentary uh, uh, about the day, the day of, And their eyes were just like, like they were really big because yeah. they hadn't heard the story in yeah. that way before. Yeah, it just requires more context than it yeah. used to. Yeah. yeah, awesome. Well, Herb, thank you. Yeah. Let's give Herb a hand. Appreciate you helping us out. Yeah, I just set it down there. Yeah, it, it, happens, it happens quickly. And so whether you're talking about teachers transitioning age groups, missionaries going into a new culture, politicians... Uh, campaigning from one state to another, the message remains the same, and yet uh, as the principles are the same and the truth is the same, they have to use different language, different style, different examples, maybe wear different clothing, and they have to use an energy and a tone that matches the importance of the message, like the song matching the lyrics, like the, the storytelling strategy matching uh, the actual story that's being told. It's asking What tone do I need to use? What illustrations are we using? What, what energy level works here? What word choices, right? And so you think about uh, practically here, I try to keep most of the talks, the sermons, 30 minutes or under, right? We try to, try to mix in new songs from time to time, and I try not to reference 90s movies every week because, honestly, it would come out naturally uh, every single week if we let it, right? And so that it, you have to make sure that the needs of the listener are being put above the desires of the speaker, And that brings us to the second half of, that, of this particular value statement, this DNA statement. And this is extremely important because sometimes the, the pursuit of energy, the pursuit of relevance um, takes on a life of its own. And so we have to remember that energy and relevance cannot be pursued in a way that devalues the actual truth we're trying to communicate. The energy and relevance can't be pursued in a way that even dances around the truth that we're trying to communicate. Um, some very important passages that just kind of highlight and emphasize the power of the truth and of Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting. It's useful for training in righteousness so that the servant of God, that's all of us, so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We'll continue on into chapter 4. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season, when it's convenient and when it's not. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will, turn, they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. And then Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. And this comes after Paul saying, hey, we've got we to grow in this. We've got to study this. We've got to dive into this. And he says, if we do that, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love... We will grow, in, grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. And so energy and relevant are a way of effectively communicating the truth, not watering down the truth. 
Energy and relevance, the way that we communicate becomes a tool in the tool belt of the task that we've been given. It doesn't supersede the task. We have to ultimately recognize in any pursuit of relevance or energy or fun illustrations or videos or songs or anything else, ultimately God is the one who does the work. That's why some weeks we just go straight gospel, right? Let's just remind you of the gospel of Jesus, what it means for our hearts and for our lives and for our families. We let the Holy Spirit do his thing because when it comes down to it, even though we want to communicate in a relevant and energetic way, we could let the truth stand on its own. Because I can give you examples, I can give you some anecdotal evidence of the fact that we should be passionate and speak the language of culture, but I can pull out lots of passages that demand that the truth be taught and protected. So then the big question is, what do we mean by the truth, right? Because remember, I said at the beginning, people look at these things and it's and you, different interpretations, different views, different contexts, different ideas, um, whether it's innocent or, or kind of deceitful. Um, and so what we do is we, we break it down to three categories. And if you've been through Fieldstone 101, we talk about this um, in, in that class. Uh, three categories, the first one being what we would call essentials. These are truths in Scripture that are so core to who we are as believers, so core to who we are as a church, as Christ followers, and we believe are so black and white in Scripture, there can be no room for debate. One example we often give is uh, the fact that Jesus is God, right? He's not just a man. He's not just some great prophet, not just some great teacher, not just some historical figure. He was God in human flesh. There can be no debate about that because if you take that truth away, everything falls apart, right? That truth is so pivotal to who we are and what we're chasing and what we believe. That is an essential truth of following Jesus and being a local church. And so there are those essentials where, hey, if you're, anyone is welcome, right? You're always welcome to worship with us. But if you're, if you're not on board with these essential truths, you're going to have a hard time feeling like this is family because this is so core to who we are. Second category would be non-essentials or maybe distinctive beliefs of Fieldstone Church. These are those where we feel very strongly, right, strong evidence in Scripture, and we hold to these, we teach these, and yet we recognize there is room for conversation on some of these. Baptism would be one of those, right? We feel very strongly that baptism is believer's baptism. You give your life to Jesus, and then you're baptized as a public expression of that faith that now exists inside of you. But many people, Jesus-loving people, brilliant people, brothers and sisters in Christ, evangelical churches, will look at the same passages and go, oh, we think this is a little bit different. Where some might say this, there's... Uh, water baptism and then a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Or some might even say there's not even water involved at all, right? And so there's different views. And so here at Fieldstone, we're always going to teach it. We're, we're going to hold very strongly to it. We're going to raise our kids in that uh, understanding of the truth. And yet we recognize that these aren't essential to salvation. They're not essential to who we are as a church. And so there's freedom and liberty. They're distinctive beliefs that we have here, but there is room for conversation, room for disagreement within a healthy body of Christ. And then there's a third category, and that's kind of the other category. Those are the ones like Leviticus 13, right? It's in the Bible, but you all were squirming when I read it, right? And so it's, it's not, not part of who we are, not something we're going to hold real tightly to. We're not going to do a sermon series on rashes and white hairs. It's just going to be um, things that, hey, that, that's fine. If you want to dive into that, great. Dive in. There's resources. There's YouTube videos. Have fun with it. 
digest it, have conversations about it, but it's not going to be something that impacts the way that we worship and the way that we study and the way that we teach and things like that. Um, and then on top of those three categories, are sinners, that because of our sin, we are separated from God, separated from that relationship that he longs to have with us. And the only solution for that sin is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who died to pay the penalty for our sin, who rose from the grave to defeat death and give us the opportunity for eternal life with him. And it's only through Jesus that we experience that. That's truth for salvation, right? Those are the truths that we'll live for and die for and stand on. Um, and so there's just kind of those different categories. And here's what we know about God's word ultimately from Isaiah chapter 55 when it comes to living it, when it comes to preaching it. Isaiah 55, 8. God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways, or your ways are not my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and don't return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth, God says. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. When it comes to God's word, when it comes to his truth, he will use it and he will touch hearts. I can't tell you how many times there have been Sundays where I walk off this stage feeling like, ah, man, that was, that was not it, right? That, that was inadequate, feeling insecure, not happy with the energy, not happy with the relevance, not happy with the way the truth was communicated. And I can't tell you how often it's those Sundays that we get an email or we get a connection card or we get a comment from someone that was, man, God was moving. That's exactly what I needed to hear. And, and I'm going, or, or Brian and I are talking to each other like, that was not a good Sunday, and yet something happened, right? Because God uses it. God takes his word, he takes his truth, and he speaks to hearts, and he speaks to minds, and he changes people's lives with it. So ultimately, in pursuit of energy, in pursuit of relevance, that has to be several rungs lower than the fact that the truth has to be spoken and can stand on its own. So a couple things I want to challenge you with as, as we wrap this up today. First thing I'd say is this. Don't get fooled. Don't get fooled. Don't get led astray. The things that really matter, those essential truths, right? The, the things that you should live and die for, those things are not subtle in Scripture. I'm talking about who Jesus is talking about what he came to do. I'm talking about the things that God is for and celebrates and the things that God, that breaks his heart. I'm talking about what does he ask of us, right? What brings him joy? What ticks him off, right? Those things are clear and direct and don't leave much room for debate, if any. They are statements in scripture. And so don't get fooled on those things. And there's a danger both ways, right? There's a danger in overvaluing things that God is not clear on, but there's a danger in ignoring or devaluing the things that he is clear on. Either way can distract us and confuse us and lead us away from the gospel and how the gospel is lived out. And so I would challenge you, as we see in Acts chapter 17, Paul was, and Silas were teaching in Berea, and it says that now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message 
with great eagerness, and then they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said is true. Study the scriptures. Make sure that what you're hearing from me, from your favorite podcast, from your favorite radio station, from your favorite preacher you like to listen to throughout the week, right? Whatever it is, study the scriptures and make sure that what you're hearing is true. In addition, it's, it, sometimes it's helpful to add voices to the conversation, right? I love to go to Pastor Tony Evans down in, in Texas, faithful preacher of the word for decades. What's he think about this passage? What, what does he say about this? N.T. Wright, brilliant pastor, brilliant theologian, solid on the essentials. I disagree with him on a couple things, but because he's brilliant, because he's been faithful with the essentials for decades, like, all right, what, is, what does Dr. Wright say about this particular thing? Megan Fate Marshman, right, very popular uh, speaker out there right now. They're like, okay, what, what does she see in this passage, right? She's coming from a different perspective, uh, perspective of a woman, a perspective of someone who travels a lot, does a lot of preaching. What's she think? Let's go back to Matthew Henry, right? Now we're jumping back centuries. You can go back to Augustine. What do some of these people say? How are these truths viewed across the generations, across cultural contexts, and how does it all compare with what I'm thinking, with what I'm seeing, with what I'm hearing I need to study these things. Let's study the scriptures to make sure that what we're hearing, what we're believing, what we're standing on matches up with what God says in his words. Don't get fooled. Second thing is this. When it comes to our goal of communicating the truth in an energetic and relevant way, I want to encourage you to adopt that strategy in your life. I'm not saying you have to be cool. Right? I'm not saying you have to grow some awesome beard like Joe does. Right? That's not something that everyone can do. It doesn't make you less of a man. <laughs> Sorry, I got a little, a little too personal there. <laughs> At the same time, don't be the one who's 50 years behind the rest of the world. Speak the truth in a way that values them over you. What are their needs? What's their language? What's their generation? Value that over what you're naturally comfortable with. Are you telling this story because they need to hear it or because you like to tell it? Are you talking to them like they're seven, even though they're 17? Did they need that rebuking tone or did they need some encouragement? Did you talk nonstop for 23 minutes, even though a three-minute truth bomb would have done it? The truth is not about you. So don't let you be the only thing they walk away remembering. Ultimately, guys, we're just trying to treat God's word like the invaluable resource that it is, right? It's like, like money, like time, like water in the desert. It has to be handled and shared with intentionality, with energy, with relevance, with passion, but ultimately recognizing that it's God who takes our piddly, human efforts, and then his Holy Spirit does miraculous things with it, and that is what we rely on ultimately. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for our time together. Thanks for just the powerful time of worship as we just sang about Jesus and, and what he means in our lives, what his gospel means uh, for this life and for the next. Um, God, may he be the one we stand on and rely on. Thank you for that gift. And beyond that, God, as we've experienced it, we know that you want us to share it. We know that you want the other people in our lives to experience what we've experienced in you. And so, God, as we share that, help us to think of the needs of those we're talking to, uh, doing life with, 
passing the truth on to. Um, and God, as we do our best, we just ask that you keep your promise, that you, your word will not return void. Your word is going to have an impact. It's going to cut hearts. It's going to challenge us and rebuke us and ultimately change our lives. God, we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.